When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape from Cleveland.com. Doug Lemery, Scott Papsco, Ellis Williams, breaking it all down for you after the win over Houston, heading into the game against Chicago this weekend. We split it up. Each guy's take a half of what's going on. Ellis is going to sort of dig into the offense, especially in the absence of Jarvis Landry. What are they going to do? Scott Pasco going to start us off, though, talking about, guess what? The Browns defense, which has good players, but isn't necessarily playing well right now. So Scott Pasco, dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape. Right, so right off the top here, I think we need to remind everybody that the Browns are one and one, and they won their last game. They're tied for first in the AFC North. Uh, that's good. The sky's not falling, but... If you're Kevin Stefanski and the Browns defensive coaching staff, you probably didn't have a great time watching film of the Texans game. And that's how I want you to think about the Browns as we run through this stuff. Think about how Joe Woods is probably thinking about it. Because the goal, obviously, is to get better over the course of a season. And the Browns head into week three with a lots of room for improvement on defense. But before we get to like some specific things, I want to kind of pull back and take a wider scope of, of where they are. The Browns defense finished last season – ranked 25th in DVOA, which listeners of this podcast should know by now is an efficiency metric that measures performance against league averages. It's a group. It's the best way I think to compare like entire offenses or entire defenses to other teams. So the Browns finished 25th last season. Anybody want to take a guess on where they ranked after two weeks this season? 25th. Wow. You nailed it. Nice setup. You set, you set me up for success, which is what this pod is all about. I did. I did. See, if you pay attention, you know, you know, it's, it's pretty obvious, but I was, that's not where they wanted to be after all the changes this off season. Last year, they were pretty evenly bad in terms of DVOA. They ranked 25th against the pass, 17th against the run this season. There's a bigger gap 31st against the pass six against the run. And that run defense was 30th in DVOA just two years ago. So kudos on making a leap like that. That's, that's a huge jump. The current gap, though, between rush and pass defense on the Browns is very similar to 2017 when they finished 28th against the pass and third against the run. That's, that's 2017. The Browns had the third best run defense in the NFL. The 0-16 Browns. That, I am sure that is going to be in Hugh Jackson's book. Remember when we had the third best run defense in the NFL and nobody talked about it? Wow, congratulations yep. to them. That's a nice That's little right. bonus nugget here on a, on, a, on a Thursday. That's right. He could go into his interviews and say, you know, that was like the creamy filling of the 1-31 in 31 stretch. It's, there was good stuff in there. You just had to get to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, we weren't doing this podcast back then, but if we had been, I'm pretty sure we would have examined how that could possibly be. I mean, everybody tried to run on the Browns that year. They faced the fifth most rushing attempts, and they only gave up 3.4 yards per game, which was second lowest. So, Are you know, you- are you suggesting Joe Woods go back and watch 2017 film this week? Let's do more of what those guys did back then. I'm just saying it wasn't all bad that year. You know, unless you played in the secondary, the Browns gave up seven and a half yards per pass that year. 
which was seventh highest. And they let opposing quarterbacks complete 68.6% of their passes. So fast forward to this year, the Browns are given up 8.7 yards for pass through two games and a completion percentage of 69.2. So they're both ahead of both those categories from where that 2017 team was. But the run game is coming through, or the run defense anyways, is coming through. This year's run defense, giving up only three yards per carry, which is tied for second lowest in the league. So again, it's not all bad unless you're playing in the secondary for the Browns this year. But that's kind of a big picture scope of where things are. And I'm curious if that's, do you kind of see that matching up with those numbers after you've watched these first few games? Well, Ellis, I, I do think we have to take into account that the Browns through two weeks have played two top five quarterbacks in Patrick Mahomes and Tyrod Taylor, which I think obviously influences this ranking because that guy, before he got hurt, was just setting it on fire, right? Yeah, an, an MVP candidate and a, a 10 for 11 completer more no, efficient than, than Baker Mayfield. They, they played an MVP candidate and Patrick Mahomes. There you uh, go. <laughs> So what do you, you what do you think of this of that statistical overview, Ellis? Like does that does that match up sort of with what your eyeballs are saying so far? Well, it's definitely like Scott said, of course, not where you'd anticipate the Browns to be. As for my eyeballs, of course. Uh, there is a wide receiver one issue going on with this team. Uh, we already went over how Tyreek Hill dominated the Browns. I rewatched the game. Uh, yesterday, the Texans Browns game and, and Brandon cooks really got what he wanted. Even when Davis mills came into the game, uh, he's a target monster. He's going to have a huge target share for Houston this year, but still uh, not what you want to see in, in terms of your number one corner going against the number one wide receiver. Uh, but it's also important to keep in mind of all the new parts. And I know the, the two D tackles are new, uh, but for the most part, this linebacking core is about the same, uh, Miles has always been stout against the run. Jadavion Clowney's calling card is being a, a disruptor and stopper of the run. So I, I'm not surprised how good the run defense is. And should should they be ranked 25th against the pass? Probably not. But I, I'd be shocked if they were a top 10 pass defense unit already. Okay. All right, Scott. So there are sort of general problems, issues. Let's not say problems. Let's say issues. Issues is always the nicer word than problems. Like when you have a parent-teacher conference and it's like the teacher's like, we have some issues with your kid. It's like, oh, issues we can fix. And then are there ever any good issues? Oh, what are some of the good issues? Oh, they're not good. They're all bad. I just didn't want to use the P word. Then like sometimes you can get away with stuff, right? You don't have to be great every down on defense if you're great when it matters, but they're almost worse when it matters, aren't they? Yeah, there was a third and seven play uh, in the second quarter against the Chiefs that I want to mention. The defensive line for that play for the Browns, Miles Garrett and Tech McKinley on the edges, Jadavian Clowney and Malik Jackson inside, and they had you know Anthony Walker kind of standing up uh, ready to blitz on that play. He had four cornerbacks on the field. He had Ward, Newsom, Troy Hill, Grady Williams, and then Harrison was out of the game by then. So you had MJ Stewart and John Johnson behind them. So that was kind of the, the setup. The Browns blitzed on the play. Anthony Walker and Malik Jackson kind of ran a stunt. And Jackson, just a clear path. He hit Mahomes on the play. Fortunately for the Browns, the ball was out by then. On its way to Tyreek Hill, who caught an 11-yard pass over the middle for first down. Denzel Ward gave him a pretty big cushion. And he really guarded against a go route. And then Hill just kind of cut it off and took what he needed for the first down. But that play is a really good example of what the Browns are good at and what they've really struggled with. So the first, let's go over just third down because nobody has had a tougher time 
getting off the field on third downs in the rounds this season. Opponents are converting a league high 62.9% of third downs against the Browns. The Chiefs were nine of 13. The Texans were eight of 14. Wow. Browns are really good at forcing third downs. They rank 12th, 13 and a half per game. So they're getting those opportunities. Um, and really that's the same thing they did last year. They were also ranked 12, 12, 12.8, almost 13 per game last season. But taking advantage of those third downs has been the issue. Last season, similar to this year, they ranked 25th in conversion rate by opponents uh, on third down. So through two games and after tons of personnel change, just percentage-wise, things have gotten worse. And Kevin Stefanski was asked about that earlier this week, and he didn't pin the blame on any one thing. And, you know, he said it's a combination of rush and coverage when you're talking about those passing situations. But he admitted we got to be better. He said we got to be better on third downs. When you watch the Chiefs convert those third downs, that's one thing because they ranked third in the league last year. I mean, they're just good, and they're good on third downs. They're fourth through two games this year. But the Texans, they've used the Jaguars and the Browns to rise up to second and third down conversion rate over 57% per game. And even after David Mills came in, rookie David Mills, replacing MVP candidate Tyrod Taylor, the quarterback, the Texans were still four of eight on third downs. The scoring drive uh, in the second half in the fourth quarter, when they cut the lead to 24-21, the Texans had a 17-yard pass on third and seven, a 14-yard pass on third and 13. They drew a DPI on third and six. Uh, they had a three-yard run on third and one, and then the touchdown came on third and two. So, like, everything <laughs> everything they had done good when Dave Mills came in, they had some stops. It just all kind of fell apart on that drive. The defense has had its moments on third down. Like, they, had, they stopped the, t- the Chiefs in week one, gave the ball back to the Browns with, like, almost three minutes to play, a chance to win the game. And then against the Texans, they got a couple third down stops on their final two drives. And the last one, they forced the field goal that ended up, ended up missing but overall obviously it has not been good and it's a tough one to figure out because Joe Woods has used a variety of coverage on thirds downs it hasn't been one look that he's used consistently that is that has caused a lot of problems the Chiefs and the Texans combined to go 12 of 16 passing 162 yards a touchdown and a pick on third downs against the Browns four different Browns have seen at least two to three targets on third down in coverage so it's spread out Uh, although uh, Denzel Ward has the most with three. Uh, and then in seven rushing attempts on third downs, the Browns have given up six first downs, which is second most in the league. So in other words, a lot of folks have contributed to this issue and we'll just, we'll, we'll just call it an issue. So that sounds like if, if you're saying he's changing up coverages, if you're saying it's a, it's a bunch of different guys, Ellis, is that better or worse? <laughs> like, like, like if it's, like it's not, oh, it's not one thing. It's six things, but like, oh, we just all have to get better, right? You just got to get better. And that's a better answer than if it was like, oh, well, they're going after this one guy or, or, or it's that Joe Woods is keeps calling the same call on third down and that's getting burned every time. What do you think of that idea of Scott saying it's kind of sprinkled around? It's, uh, I think it's problematic uh, because when you see, I re, again, I rewatched the Texans game last night and, and Scott's right. You do notice a variation of calls and coverages from Joe Woods uh, three different times. on man coverage. Uh, the Texans were able to convert third downs once on uh, Denzel Ward uh, in the, and these are on with when Mills was in the game as, as Scott was pointing out one on, 
Denzel Ward on the right side there. Uh, they had one Ronnie Harrison on their tight end in man coverage and press man. Uh, he lost that battle. And then the touchdown, uh, Greg Newsom was in coverage, but it, it was just a nice design play to credit David Culley and what they're doing there. But where I'm going with this is it is a player issue, as Kevin Spansky will say, you know, alignment, technique, things like that. But it's also a preparation issue, at, meaning the touchdown. You know, that was just a stack formation. And you saw Greg Newsom trying to communicate with what he, what he should do. And Brandon Cooks just cut under off, off coverage. And it, it's a touchdown. That to me tells me there it's something they haven't drilled enough in practice. And when you have both issues, both though they're not glaring, it's a indictment on the whole unit. They need to um, toughen their technique, also get their calls down. And I think the saving grace here when we look at the Texans tape is to keep in mind how often the Texans had two running backs in the backfield in the shotgun. So like a split back formation, which allowed them to chip both Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney when they were on the outside. And that puts a lot of pressure on your interior defensive linemen to win as a pass rushers. And though they're proving stout against the run, I'm not sure Malik McDowell, Malik Jackson, Jordan Elliott are proven pass rushers yet. So I'm not that split back formation two running backs, protecting your quarterback, being able to chip the end is not that common of a, a third down formation. So I could see the pass rush coming, getting a jump start once you, you see quarterbacks more in the uh, shotgun single back or even empty, but it's, it's a technique issue. It's a, a scheme issue. And then really, I do think we just have to credit the Texans. They, they probably have a lot better offense, a more consistent, stable offense than we gave them credit for coming into the year. Scott, when you tell that story of here's the time the Texans converted five third downs in a touchdown drive, right? Which just like, curls your hair it's like every like every did you did you think like in watching that right and either watching it live or watching it back do you watch it and go oh that was awful like the or is it more like well that was pretty good by the texans oh well i saw what happened there i was bad luck oh wow man it was a close they almost stopped them but they did you know what i mean like did you have a feeling of foreboding on a five for five third down conversion houston drive or did you have a feeling of like ah stuff happens well here's what i was thinking about first at that point in the game, I had started writing about the Browns' third down issues because of everything that happened in the first half. And then they started stopping the Texans, and I thought, well, now i got to change how I worded this. Let's see how this goes. And then that drive happened, and I'm like, no, you know what? I'm right on track here. <laughs> I've nailed it on the head. They still have issues with third down. So that's, that's kind of what I was thinking first, very selfishly. But it was kind of weird. It was like every time there was a third down – I just started to think, well, how are they going to pick this one up? You know, it, it just, just seemed like it was going to happen. Yeah. And yeah. for whatever reason, they, they were going to fail on this third down to stop David Mills and the high-powered Texans offense. Because I do think in the end, and, and this will lead us into Scott's last point, like right in the end, the magic solution to all that stuff is, eh, Miles will get there, right? Especially on third and long. It's like, oh, what's going to happen? How can they... Miles will, Miles will screw this up. And kind of what you're saying, Ellis, you know, they have a plan. They have a plan. Hey, we're going to really focus. We're going to dedicate two guys here in the backfield to helping out on the ends. Um, that's probably a smart move by the Texans. Again, that, that you're giving up something, right? I mean, that's 
So now you're protecting with seven if you're keeping both backs in, maybe even eight if you have a tight end on the field. But again, we, I mean, you back when, before I really understood football, now I slightly understand football. I was always like, why don't you just have five guys in the route all the time? It's more guys to throw to. And now, I mean, there really are times where it's like, protect with eight, put your two best dudes in a route and let them get after it. And then, A, it's like, well, I'm throwing it to one of my two best dudes. And B, my quarterback's going to have time because we're going to dedicate to this. I love that stuff now. I used to hate that stuff. But it's like, if, if you're a team that you believe in your guys, you have a Brandon Cooks type of guy against this Browns secondary. You have a couple guys you believe in. We're going to keep everybody in to keep the pass rushers off our quarterback. And we think that we give our quarterback just enough time our two best guys, one of them is going to get open against this defense right now. That sounds pretty good, Ellis, right? I mean, I, I'm not here to tell other teams how to beat the Browns. I'm a rising offensive mind in football circles. But that, I know what you're saying. Like, I don't know. We're not going to necessarily, most teams don't keep two backs in on third down to help chip. But that we could see more, could we see more mass protect in these situations that that's a strategy for a team? Keep the ends away from the quarterback and good things will happen. Yeah, protection comes first, and teams are going to dare Jadavian Clowney to beat them before they're going to let Miles Garrett have a, a single outside rush. It, it's going to be a, a tough year for Miles, not in terms of his sack total or you know ch- chasing defensive player of the year, but just everything he's going to have to overcome snap to snap. Uh, Clowney continues to be a guy who wants to jackknife inside and lose outside contain that means when there is a back inside or or an end they're gonna go miles direction so until the rest of the defensive line proves worthy as a pass rush that we are gonna see um, max protect to miles side a slide to miles side with a running back or a tight end and force those other three rushers to win or or a a blitzing safety which could become a a variation as this show was defense evolves we saw grant delpit scream off the edge and have that sack on the final drive of the game this this might become a, a team that needs to manufacture pressure uh by blitzing safeties and dropping other guys rather than just blitzing, lining up for and playing because it's becoming predictable and they don't have a proven pass rusher aside from Miles Garrett. Now, stout run defenders, all of them, but the only true pass rusher right now is Miles Garrett, and he's going to continue to get doubled and chipped. All right, Scott, I know you've got numbers on this, this pass rush, which is we can't talk about it too much. So what are, what are the numbers telling us about what's happening with that? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you guys brought up having people stay in too, because I'm going to go back to that third down play uh, the Chiefs had that Mahomes got the ball to Tyreek Hill. They did keep Edward Tolera in on that, and Tyreek, uh, Travis Kelsey helped with Miles on the edge before uh, you know, slipping off into the, into the flat. So um, you did have extra blockers on that play. Uh, but what Mahomes was looking at defensive line-wise with the Browns, uh, who the Browns had, on the line, 127 career sacks on that Browns defensive line on that play, plus whatever Anthony Walker has. I didn't look it up. I know he's not a, a sack guy. Um, 127 career sacks. Jar- Garrett, Jackson, Clowney, McKinley. And if you add in Malik McDowell, that's really been the Browns' main pass rushers this season on third down anyways. Uh, Garrett has 19 snaps on third down. McDowell has nine. Everybody else kind of falls in, in between. That group on third down this season. 14 total pressures, which is ranked third. 10 hurries, also ranked third. Six hits, ranked 10th. Three knockdowns, ranked sixth. 
It's hard to get excited about that, though, because you know they only have one sack on third down this season. Plus, there's also the fact that overall, if you look at all downs, the Browns rank below 15th in every pressure category that I just ran through. So that's obviously not where they wanted this group to be after all these changes. Miles Garrett pointed out on Sunday that obviously chemistry takes time. And we've talked on this podcast about all the new phases. He noted that he, and I think he pointed out Porter Gustin, which has Porter Gustin even been active yet? <laughs> and like, those are the only two guys really. He kind of left out, I guess maybe he's just talking about the edges. He kind of left out Jordan Elliott too, but um, obviously not a, new, a lot of new people. He also talked about, like you mentioned, Ellis, the Texans had a good game plan. They really caught the Browns off guard. There was more throwing uh, early on that Browns anticipated, especially from a team that ran it like, what, 40 times in week one. So we can't really dismiss all that. We also can't ignore the fact that we've only seen two games mm-hmm. and it's a small sample size, obviously, but the Browns overall, the Browns are fifth in ESPN's pass rush win rate metric, which measures how fast the rusher is able to beat a block in two and a half seconds. They're like 56%. Individually, McKinley is tied for fifth, hasn't had a huge sample size. Miles Garrett tied is, is at ninth. So there are some individual successes in there, but as Stefanski said, it takes more than just the pass rush and what the defensive line doing is doing to make this all work. There's a lot of moving parts. But maybe the Bears are a remedy for this because the Bears are 28th in passing DVOA. They've converted only 42% of their third downs. Andy Dalton's status is up in the air. So Justin Fields might make his first start. Justin Fields, time to throw this season, or basically just last week against the Bengals, 3.37 seconds. That's a long time for a team that doesn't use much play action at all. And as we noted on this podcast, that the longer the quarterback holds the ball, the more likely something good will happen for the defense. 3.37 seconds, it doesn't matter so much. Well, I guess it diminishes the how much you're going to get out of that running back staying in or that tight end helping chip. 3.37 seconds is a long time for Miles Garrett to get to the quarterback or for Malik McDowell and Malik Jackson to get pushed up the middle or for Delpit or, or Anthony Walker to blitz, which they're still doing it a rate lower than even last season, by the way. Uh, so that is, I guess, something to look forward to. It hasn't been great this, this, thus far, but the Bears might be something that, that helps turn things around. I will say, I will just, say. Justin likes to hold the ball because Justin, at least, I haven't watched him in the NFL yet, but in college, he liked to hold the ball because he didn't want to get rid of it because he might be able to make a, a big play, which was like an interesting push and pull at Ohio State. So... I think he probably still tends to that because he thinks I can spin away from pressure and do something here. But Scott, it sounds like, and Scott, you know, there's nothing more than you like than tying together pressure and coverage. If we're saying, hey, they're not getting home enough, but you are talking about all these numbers that show, well, they're getting their pass rush win rate is good. They're getting hurries, right? That kind of stuff. Does that mean it's the coverage? that the coverage is is giving too many easy throws for a quarterback to get it away right before the Browns get there because they kind of are winning their matchups in an appropriate amount of time. They're just not getting home because there's always somebody to throw to quickly. Yes and no. Uh, and again, we talked about this last week. The L22 coaches view film would be so helpful. But the Chiefs and the Texans – especially the Chiefs, got the ball out quick. Mahomes was getting it out in less than two seconds uh, from a clean pocket. 
you know, when he, they obviously had a game plan to get the ball out and try to lessen the Browns pass rush. And we, you know, that's what the Browns did to the Steelers last year. It's what you do to a good pass rush. You have to try and get the ball out quicker. And Tyrod Taylor did that to some extent. He was really close to two seconds, like about 2.1, I believe, uh, at least from a clean pocket. Uh, Mills, not so much. Um, but, you know, the guys who actually were a major part of the game plan going into those games, they were getting out quickly. Now, the Browns know that their pass rush can get to the quarterback and create pressure. So then the task falls to, all right, well, they're getting it out quicker. What do we do on the back end to make sure that we're not giving up so many passes and you know, yards after catch? And it basically comes down to what Miles said. I asked him at one point before the Texans game, like, do you think that's a win if you are forcing the other team to get the ball out so quick, quicker than they want to? And it's like, yeah, as long as we can tackle, as long as mm-hmm. there's no yards after catch um, or the ball's batted down, if that's not the case, then, you know, it's, they're, they're still – they're still winning. And then they said, bottom line is we're paid to, to cause negative plays. So, but again, it goes hand in hand. And I think they have to be aware that teams are going to throw quickly. You're not going to have people standing back there like a statue, obviously. Uh, And then figure out how do you make sure there's no yards after catch? How do you make sure that you're on top of those quick throws and go from there? So Ellis, Lots of teams throw quick now, right? I mean, that's Pittsburgh's whole plan, right? Get the ball out of Ben's hands in half a second because and – and the thing that helps the Steelers is you can just set the robot timer on his robot arm, and I think that it automatically throws it. Like, set ball to throw at .75 seconds, which I think is unfair. But, I mean, I, I'll call the league. So, is this – it's one of these things – is it that, hey, the Browns have Jadavion Clowney and these interesting interior guys and Miles Garrett, and they're going to get after the passer. And then the passers are like, I oh, will just get rid of it early. And then it's like, well, there goes that. Oh, well, <laughs> they figured out a plan. Is that it? Like, is, are we just going to have 15 more games of quarterbacks getting the ball out of their hands before Miles can get home? Or if not, like, what's the thing? What, what, what prevents that from being the case? Yeah, it- there probably is going to be an attempt to have quicker throws against the Browns, but there there's a, a counter to that, um, that, that Joe Woods needs, needs to find in, in his covered scheme and, and just alignment and taking those quick throws away, uh, having a, a better pre-snap diagnosis of, of what's coming. I will say watching the tape though, you do notice these past two weeks, uh, all three quarterbacks, the Browns face, of course, Patrick Mahomes and the, the two Texans QBs, doing a, a decent job changing their launch points, um, moving throughout the pocket. And to me, that goes back to what Miles was saying about the chemistry. Uh, I found one clip yesterday when uh, Miles loops outside, Jadavion cuts inside, and Davis Mills was just able to step up and go to where Jadavion was and avoid Miles' loop, and then you're out of position. So that's a situation where I would think where – if Miles and Jadavion had a better understanding or if this coaching staff just had a, a, a better understanding of what their pass rushers tend to do and lean on in those got to have it moments, uh, you can play as a more cohesive unit and be four, much like how a secondary needs to be a, a moving part on one string, a D line does as well, because as soon as you give up uh, a lane, 
the quarterback, if agile enough, can can go out there and make a play and step up. So I understand the quick throw stats, but there are times when these quarterbacks aren't throwing it quickly either, and they're still able to manipulate the pocket and make a play. And the Browns have plenty of mobile quarterbacks coming up on their schedule. So this this is going to be a, a continued issue, I believe, and something we have to keep watching. And it's really going to come down to this defense learning how to make plays rather than uh, you know, combat quick throws and whatnot. This is a passing league. This is this is going to keep happening. Uh, passings up all over the league this year already. It's it, it it comes down to which really was the bulk of this deep dive, which is third down and red zone, and, and that's where they must improve. So, Scott, in conclusion, do you feel like ah, they'll figure it out? It's mostly that they're new. It's cohesion and getting and playing together, and like it's growing pains. It'll be fine. They have talented guys or through two games, are you a little bit like, Hmm, I don't know. They definitely got to actually fix something. Cause this is not as good as I expected. Um, well, no, it's not as good as I expected, but I do. I think anybody would think that Joe Woods has enough possibilities to figure it out. You know, it's not like last season when you're scraping the barrel and you're cutting into your depth and you're looking at the safeties on the field and you're like, hmm, I don't, I don't know what you can do to make this work. You have talent on the defense. It's just figuring out how to put it in the best position to be successful and getting the most out of everybody. But you have, you have all the ingredients there. It would seem, you know, we've talked all off season about, you know, the abilities of Delpit and JOK and versatility on the defensive line and how all the safeties can do all these multiple things. It's, it's there. Uh, it's just figuring out how to make it work. Which, which is, it's surprising that that's the problem that they're having, how to make it out, all this talent work. All right, that's our defensive deep dive here on Gotta Watch the Tape. When we come back, we'll be doing the offensive side with Ellis Williams, starting with what are they going to do without Jarvis? Next on Gotta Watch the Tape. Back on Gotta Watch the Tape. I, I, Scott, you briefly mentioned this. I'm at, are we watching the tape? Are the All-22s out at all yet or no? Not at all? So there was no all 22 from week one? It's been tough. Sell your yeah. stock in the NFL. The NFL is going right down the tubes. They added the extra game, and now they can't even handle simple things like getting the tape up. People they are just, paying for this. We're not just like complaining. We're customers. People are playing for this. Mm-hmm. Rog, yeah, Roger. <laughs> Come on, Rog. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> I've always thought, though, that like, college doesn't have this. I think if college is – because college is so much more regional. If conferences did this, if the Big Ten had like, hey, do you want to subscribe to Big Ten All-22 for about – I mean, I'd do it. I can't believe they don't do it. Like, it's such a great thing to have access to. And, let, and the coaches are like, ooh, don't give the secrets away. Is that what it is? Do you think the NFL coaches were like, you're giving away our secrets to Alice and Scott? We're not putting it out anymore? No. Maybe. Maybe they listen. This show's too good. Gotta watch the tape is so good that banished all 22 for the entire world. Let's go that's with a, that. That's a great we ruined it. Yep. For our advertising <laughs> campaign. Listen to the film and number show that ruined watching football for everyone. All right, Ellis. <laughs> let's start with no Jarvis. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape. Yeah, so I want to dive into the unique problem replacing Jarvis Landry creates for Kevin Stefanski and the Browns. Let's start with how unprecedented playing without Landry is it, it truly is uncharted territory for Cleveland. He's been an iron man at the receiver position throughout his career in seven seasons. He's missed only one game that came last season when the entire wide receiver group missed the Jets game due to 
COVID close contacts. Uh, last week after exiting on the second offensive play with his knee injury that later was an MCL sprain and now he's on IR, which means he has to miss a minimum of three games. Uh, Landry had a streak of 111 consecutive games with at least two catches ended. That mark was fourth all time behind Tim Brown, Jerry Rice and Antonio Brown. That alone is impressive. It speaks to his longevity of production. No one in the NFL makes it through a healthy season. They play hurt. It's often, it's said often, but hardly not understood enough the difference between playing hurt and being injured. Landry, like I said, now on injured reserve is officially injured. His pain threshold has been incredible throughout his career, and, and, and specifically just with, the, just with the Browns. In 2019, he played through a hip injury. Then he had surgery after the season and rehabbed a grueling uh, six, seven months to return for week one, probably earlier than he should have had. Uh, he, he looked hindered all year. And then in week five uh, against the Colts, he broke two ribs, going up for a pass. He played through that too. He said he didn't really get right until the week nine bye uh, because he didn't have that full off season to heal rushing back through rehab. Um, this off season though, he came in fully healthy. He was loud about that during training camp. You could tell it was a different look Jarvis Landry. Uh, and that only lasted two weeks because this is the NFL and bad luck strikes. And even an Ironman like Jarvis uh, can get popped and hit and replacing Jarvis, as I started, is going to be a challenge that Kevin Stefanski just hasn't endured yet. There's been a lot of things he's had to overcome already in his short tenure as the Browns head coach. This is not one of them. Since 2019, Landry has accounted for 31% of Baker Mayfield's uh, passing in 2019. He did that in, tw- in 2020. It was 24% of Baker's passing yards. Uh, in 2019, he accounted for 26% of Baker Mayfield's completions a year ago, 24%. So before we get into exploring how the Browns may try to replace him, basically a quarter of the Browns passing offense is gone. And that is scary. Scott, we talk a lot about Jarvis's intangibles, right? The the energy he brings, the heart he brings to the team, but it's nice to remind, like, oh, by the way, they throw to him a lot. This is like tangible production that Baker's going to have to make up for. Yeah, this is a scenario. I don't know that anybody really spent time thinking about heading into this season. It was all, well, if Odell Beckham Jr. doesn't come back right away, look at Donovan Peoples-Jones. He looks great in, uh, in training camp. You know, he'll step in, and if he's not that, he'll be the third receiver. They're good to go, and I don't remember anybody ever talking about yeah what, what happens if if Jarvis gets hurt or isn't able to to play for whatever reason what's your what's your backup plan and I know Demetric Felton got looks at at slot but yeah you're left wondering like wow that is a big hole and yeah they do throw to him but like the one guy on this team that you look at and you say that guy's a football player that's Jarvis Landry you know he's the carries the the throwing and obviously the catching it just the contested catches, mm-hmm. the physicalness of his game, it, it is a big loss. And, you know, a lot of the Browns players are kind of struggling to put that into words, what that would mean. Um, and, and, you know, they're going to find out. So, Ellis, when you think about them trying to fill in for Jarvis here, do they need to, to play a receiver who plays the way Jarvis does? 
or is that not how you think in these situations? And then you just got to find the next best guy and then maybe slightly adapt the offense to the receivers that you have on the field, but you're not looking for a, a Jarvis clone in trying to replace his snaps. It, it, it's such a tough question, Doug, because you're not going to find a Jarvis Landry clone uh, on this roster. We're, we're going to go through the, the list of candidates who, who we think can replace Jarvis Landry, or at least try to. Um, I, I truly think this is going to be Kevin Stefanski's greatest test aside from, you know, prepping for a, a place, a playoff game in his basement a, a year ago, or at least watching it there, because this is a guy, like Scott said, you don't anticipate losing him. He, he does everything uh, correctly. Uh, the fine details of route running, uh, the assurance at the, at the catch point, the winning at a catch point, it, the blocking, uh, he's, a, he's a terrorizing blocker inside. I'm not really sure what the answer is. We're going to unpack some players that we project need to step up. But in a lot of ways, when you lose Nick Chubb, we learned a year ago, you don't just plug in Kareem Hunt and expect the same production. This is a player that is a one-of-one one on this team, probably a one-of-one one in the league, and not in a way that he is – a top 10 receiver, or even a top 15 guy, but just his skill set is so specific and such a compliment to the brand of football, the Browns play it, finding that Jarvis Landry on this roster that you're, you're not going to, you're not going to get one. So then it becomes, do you change your game plan up? Do you change your, your style up? That doesn't seem like Kevin Stefanski. He's even said that, you know, just because Jarvis is hurt. Oh, that doesn't mean we rush Odell back. Their situations are not related. <sighs> It's it, it's going to be fascinating to see over the next two, three weeks what happens to the Jarvis Landry, the 25% of the offense that he, he was occupying. I don't mean to drop a bomb in your plan here because you said the plan and I, and I like the plan. But on behalf of Dan Lobby, can I throw this out? Is it possible that the closest thing to a Jarvis replacement on the roster as a slot receiver is Kareem Hunt? Yeah. Oh, Scott, I got the Popeye eye. Arg, I don't think that's the... That wasn't Popeye. That's a generic pirate. Uh, Scott scrunched up his face at that. If Dan Lobby were here, Dan Lobby would be Uh, pumping his fists. Yes. But I mean, like toughness, like in interior, like find a way to get open football player. If if we're lining up name football players on this roster, if Jarvis is one Kareem's in the top five, I don't know. I mean, there was a time two years ago when Dan Lobby was the president of Kareem Hunt slot receiver nation. So I'm just throwing it out there. Yeah. And, and that wasn't so much a scrunch, like, no, Kareem can't do that. It's me thinking, is he really the best option? I, I'm not so sure. I think, I think they have, I think they have better options and more, more realistic from like not wanting to disrupt so much on their offense that they got to take the guy who's taking, allowing Nick Chubb to go stand on the sideline and rest for half the game taking him out of that equation and putting him out there in the slot. I don't know if Stefanski would be down for that, but I'm sure Ellis has, has a list here. Maybe Kareem's on it. I, I, I will say that to this Kareem Hunt thing, it, Scott's right about his role. His most important role is keeping Nick Chubb on the sideline and fresh because it is be abundantly clear that aside from winning and scoring points and moving the ball, this offense number one goal is to protect Nick Chubb. And if you put Kareem Hunt in different situations, that – likely hinders Stump Mitchell's ability to disperse them evenly, if not playing Kareem Hunt a little more, at least more touches. Fine. The answer <laughs> is not a guy who plays a different position. I get it. 
Why don't you just throw out Joel Petonio as a slot receiver, Doug? He's not a receiver. All right. So who's the answer then? Or who are the other actual options, Ellis? Yeah. So I'm going to go through this this rundown. And, and really, I, I want to leave a little time for you, Doug, because I know how you feel about two of the guys on this list. And I'll, Scott, I'll be curious to see what you think, because uh, this is one of my first dives where I'm not really going to come up with a, a crystal clear answer. I do have one name I'm not going to mention. He'll he'll be the uh, the last player in my third segment here. But of these four guys, let's start with Donovan Peoples-Jones. He was projected for a, a breakout year after training camp. And through two weeks, DPJ has two catches. Uh, it hasn't come without opportunity. He's outsnapped all Browns receivers, as Scott has already said. And we talked about the All-22. Without that, it's hard to explain his lack of production. One explanation could come by looking at his yards per route run. That's a stat Scott turned me on to about a year ago. It measures how often a receiver runs patterns and their depth. DPJ's uh, YRR is 0.38, lowest on the team. In comparison, last year he notched a 2.34 YRR, which led the team. So we're at a spot with DPJ where – He's not being used in the same role. The, the ball's not coming his way. And with, again, without the all 22, it, it, it's tough to speculate, but Scott, I, I, cause I went back to your story on uh, how efficient Higgins and DPJ were a year ago, quickly, your thoughts on the vast difference in his yards per route run from a year ago to right now through two games. Yeah, that's, Man, I wish we had that film. It's, I know. It's, he's getting like 40-some snaps per game the first two weeks, and maybe maybe 20-some of those are, are actual pass patterns. Yeah, it's, it's a mystery. I mean, the first week, Kevin Stefanski said, well, it was the flow of the game. This last week, maybe it was Baker seeing Jarvis leave and thinking, all right, well, I got tight ends out here. Let's make this work with them. Um, but Donovan Peoples-Jones does not seem to be getting open. Yeah. I, I guess I would yeah. assume that. If I mean, if, if he's running around open, Baker, you would think, is going to be at least targeting him, and he hasn't really even had targets. So, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of surprising. I don't know if you're going to get to this stat. Hopefully I'm not letting anything out of the bag here. But DPJ, uh, eight slot snaps in each of the first two games. That's out of, again, over 40 total snaps. He's, he's been there. He's taken snaps there. I don't know if he's the best option, though. I've made my point on two podcasts in the last week about the young receivers in general, Donovan Peoples-Jones and Anthony Schwartz. The thing I was skeptical about is on a team with all these options, were they really going to force their way into the plan, right? I just did not buy that. You know, I still thought it was Odell and Jarvis's world, all the tight ends, the running game. They're down the list. I'm not out on them eventually. I'm not out on them as potential guys when we don't have both Jarvis and Odell on this roster, I just was skeptical about it now. And at the moment, because I thought they wouldn't get opportunities. Now they're going to have opportunities, but now I'm a little skeptical about whether they can take advantage of it because there's a difference between being the number one receiver on the field and being the number three or four receiver on the field. So I'll just, people have heard on previous podcasts. I don't want to pile on, but that's my general view. So you don't have to call on me anymore on this one, Ellis. Do your thing. All right. So that's DPJ. Yeah. Who who else? Who else? Yep. So Anthony Schwartz, some, some players need data to explain their situation. Others, in my opinion, just need the eye test. That's where I'm at with Schwartz. The eye test told me plenty on Sunday when he didn't go across the middle for that ball and and caused Baker's 
interception. I saw a one-dimensional receiver, which is okay. Being fast, running straight, and occupying safeties should be his only run this year anyway. But the Browns coaches asked him to play more in OBJ's absence in week one. He, he splashed, and then he showed his rookie limitations on Sunday. And that he does he doesn't he's not a candidate who is going to be in the slot replacing Jarvis Landry anyway but the idea of his production going up I would push back on uh, because of what we we saw on Sunday again he has a very specific role and when you envision this offense prior to week one you saw Odell you saw Jarvis playing you know 75 80 percent of snaps and then you saw a complimentary receiver like Donovan Peoples-Jones and then it was supposed to be Anthony able to bring that vertical presence to complement Odell and really cause uh, chaos deep to open up everything underneath and now we've got no Jarvis we're not really sure where Odell's at and that puts a lot of pressure on Anthony Schwartz that he's not ready for so I don't think he's a solution. And, and then I already touched on Odell and I'll mention Demetri Felton from, to me, we just don't know enough to project how they are going to replace uh, Jarvis Landry. Demetri Felton seems like the leader in the clubhouse right now, if you will. Uh, he is specifically a slot receiver has a very similar skill set to Jarvis Landry in terms of short yardage quickness but man, this Browns coaching staff repeatedly stresses the importance of monitoring a work rookie's workload, both mentally and physically, more mentally. And they have been speaking praises of Felton's ability to understand the playbook and grasp it. But putting a six-round hybrid running back receiver in critical spots like Jarvis Landry has been in a five-time pro bowler, the drop-off feels significant there, which then brings us to Odell Beckham Jr. He can do a lot of things Jarvis can do, but hasn't been asked to do that in this offense. So then before I throw it to you guys, I think the logical explanation becomes the tight ends become the slot receivers. I could see Harrison Bryant stepping up in that role and occupying the middle more and then you bring Odell back and you have an outside presence uh, to pair there. There's one guy I want to name at the end of this, that I think as a, just an overall safety blanket is important. But if we're just talking, occupying the slot routes, run alignment, positioning, I'm looking at Demetric Felton and Harrison Bryant right now. It, it's a drop off, but it might be all the Browns have. Yep. All right. That was all. That's, that's all just a build up Ellis to, what I think we really want to get to here, which is at slot receiver from Colorado State, number 82, Rashard Hollywood Higgins. Rashard, I hope you're listening. Is that the answer? So, yes, that, that's that's where this is headed. It's headed towards Rashard Higgins. Again, I'm not sure that means in a dominant slot role, but what's important to keep in mind about Higgins is simply his chemistry and reliability with Baker Mayfield. Last season, Higgins caught 37 to 52 regular season targets. That's 75 per- excuse me, 71% catch percentage, uh, which was the same exact as Jarvis Landry, who grabbed 72 of his 101 targets 
Higgins improved with the year last year, playing his best playoff games versus Kansas City. He led the team with five catches for 88 yards. Uh, Higgins provides experience both DBJ and Shorts don't have. He has earned some battle-scarred stripes through battles with Pittsburgh and Baltimore. His touchdown on Monday Night Football versus Marcus Peters comes to mind. His ability to win uh, versus coverages and press man against this league's some of their best corners in NFL time. Training camp ended a while ago. Jobs won in August shouldn't be safe anymore. People's Jones limited production shorts, one dimensional style of play, in my opinion, opens a door for Higgins to reestablish himself as Mayfield's go to target until Landry returns. So again, this is going to be a by committee solving the slot vacancies, but this team can't win without throwing to its wide receivers. And Rashard remains a player who is a break in case of emergency, especially over these past two years. And this seems like an emergent situation. As I started this, this pod there, there's never been a, a time where the Browns need to replace Jarvis Landry until now. And when in doubt turn to Hollywood Higgins, huh? That is such a great way to say it. Break in case of emergency that he's just, he's just in a glass case in the facility Seems until, that way. until somebody gets hurt. Scott, you have claimed multiple times on this podcast that the Browns hate Richard Higgins. Is this, do you agree this is his time? You know, I found this story from last year, how Richard Higgins is one of the best NFL wide receivers. I don't know who wrote it, but the dude sounds brilliant. Uh, it says <laughs> that Richard Higgins was the third best wide receiver in the NFL in 2020. I, I just, I don't know. I, did Rashard Higgins write it? Is it possible that Rashard Higgins wrote that story? He I might have a ghostwriter. In terms of DVOA, efficiency. I mean, Rashard Higgins, that's what he is. He's efficient. He's not someone who's going to burn you uh, on a deep route with his speed. Or he's, just, he's reliable. He has good hands. He catches a lot of passes thrown his way, has a high catch rate, makes a lot of first downs. And, I mean, that's, those are all great qualities for a slot receiver. For sure. And he's going to take over that role, have a great year, and the Browns are going to release him the day after the season ends. <laughs> he's like, can I just, can I stay on the roster until the parade? Be like, no, I'm sorry. Thanks for the six catches in the Super Bowl, but we got to move on, Richard. Boy, Scott, when you were descri- describing those attributes of Richard Higgins, it sounded like you could have been describing Jarvis Landry. Is mm-hmm. this, again, it's not, it's not necessarily even position but it's like style of play ellis right the type of receiver reliability mm-hmm. get it efficiency i mean that this this does seem this seems like it yeah and this might be their only option you know you're at a point now where you need to put players out there that baker mayfield trusts lebron james famously when he, when they the Cavs were down 3-1 he made a point to go to war with guys he was familiar with. And that didn't mean playing some younger guys or guys with more upside. It meant that the, the collection of players he had, had battled with before uh, just to have some comfort. And, and that's Richard Higgins. And I, I do want to say this, that the Browns do have an option to perhaps run the football more. Uh, their DVOA uh, as a rushing team is by and far top in the league. They're a whopping 30% more efficient. Uh, in DVOA running the ball than the number two team, which is Baltimore. Uh, for perspective of how dominant their running game is right now, the Chiefs are two times more efficient passing the ball than the Browns. The Chiefs are 83% DVOA, the Browns just 38%. So the way the Chiefs dominate through the air, the Browns are dominating on the ground. 
Does that mean they should run it more? Probably, but they likely won't. My guess is because of their slower pace of play and dedication to a 50-50 split, we're going to see the run and the carries stay about the same, which to me means enter Richard Higgins, give Baker Mayfield some comfortable, some reliable uh, options, and just hold ground until Jarvis returns. Again, much like how Nick Chubb was injured last year, these injuries feel very similar despite being at completely different positions, of course. So let me ask you again, we're, we're talking about really replacing production, right? And replacing yeah. guys for receivers for Baker to throw to. If, if Odell is back, the first game Odell plays, let's assume it's this week. We don't know, I guess, for sure until we get to Sunday at kickoff. Do you think we see the, the full Odell when he's back? Or do you think it's like an ease in mode? But especially with Jarvis out, is it like, okay, well, if he can play, he can play. Who do you think will have more receiving yards the first time Odell plays while Jarvis is out, let's assume it's this week. Who has more receiving yards, Rashard Higgins or Odell Beckham Jr.? Wow. It's a tough question. Because in terms of production, clearly it's quite possible. It's like, well, it? I mean, we're going to throw to Odell. Odell's going to have five catches for 97 yards. And that's it's a different style, but that's really, really going to help because we didn't have that the first two games. Do you think that's possible? Yeah, I think it's Odell. Uh, you, you'd think that once you get him on the field, you're not bringing him back in a limited form. He'd be ready to go. And even when he's out there, you're you're going to be targeting him and putting him in, and not in a force feed way. This team's done doing that. I think Kevin Fancy has a better understanding of just how to put Odell around the football and, and make life easy for him. So I think it's Odell. And you could see him work in a more underneath role uh, and, and be pair with Anthony Schwartz and have him take that deep uh, responsibility. Do you agree with that, Scott? Would you take Odell or Rashard for leading and receiving yards? I would take Odell because of his ability to break longer plays. He, he wouldn't need as many targets or catches to rack up yards that Rashard might. Uh, but I do think at the end of the day, Rashard's going to get more snaps uh, than Odell for sure. Okay. I mean, that, that, to your point, Ellis, I mean, there, there definitely could be a world where Odell's taken some Jarvis routes and Schwartz has taken some Odell routes and they run mm-hmm. some plays that way and that you're not making Odell Beckham Jr. into Jarvis Landry for 50 snaps, but he can take part of that load as you kind of move things around and patch it together with different things. So they do, they do. It's not like they have no options, right? I mean, they just, it's just, let's not get too excited about the young guys and trying to figure this out. But I also do like the idea of, I mean, as much as I like the idea of let's throw more to the tight ends, you also, I just don't think you can be peak, 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 peak Browns with, with only throwing to the tight ends. But maybe they don't have to be peak Browns right now. They have to be survive Browns until Jarvis is back. And then in the second half of the season, they can figure out exactly how to light it up in the passing game. All right. That'll do it for Gotta Watch the Tape. We appreciate you guys making it part of your week. We're here every Thursday. And then the other days of the week, it's the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby running the show there. Mary Kay Cabot, all of us jumping on there a lot. We have our weekly roundtable. We have our Friday show where we preview the game. We appreciate you guys listening to that one as well. And of course, make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash Browns. Good dive on both sides of the ball. We'll be talking to you guys uh, for sure after the game on Sunday. For now, for Scott Pasco and Ellis Williams, I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks for diving in on Gotta Watch the Tape. 